0: love that song. Good morning. How are we church? Pastor has very graciously allowed me to come and preach to you this morning and I'm, I'm grateful to be in your presence. It's good to be here in church. Um, I have the opportunity as pastor would allow me to go to, to other churches and to preach but I've got to say it is so good to have a home game it's good to be in your own church, amongst your own people, preaching the Word of God. So I'm very, I'm very grateful. Now, when I do go to other places, I do offer a very unique service at the other churches that I go to. I, and I like to call the service that I provide the Pastor's Preaching Appreciation Service. And wherever I go, as soon as I've finished my sermon... The church just amazingly appreciates their own pastors preaching a lot more. I don't know what it is. It's my gift. I'm and I give it to you this morning. So I'd like to read one verse of scripture. I'm going to pray, as my habit is. Um, if you've got your Bibles, if you could turn to Proverbs, chapter 24, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 16. I appreciate Caleb's reading of that long text we will touch on that as we get into the message Proverbs 24:16 For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. let's pray my Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus the Son of God, I ask God that you would give unction to me as I would preach your word, that you would make the hearts of your people supple to hear that word and allow it to sink down into their hearts. God, would you help us this morning? We we just we desire more of you and less of us. We desire to take something from your word that will cause us to love you more and to love one another more and to to bless you, God, with the lives that you have given us. We we thank you, God. Please help us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I'd like to ask you a question this morning. Now, I, I don't know if I should ask you this question, but I will. What do you think the most popular drug of choice is in our society? Now, I know that you're a bunch of independent Baptists, okay? And if I, you know, I asked you what a scoob was, you'd probably tell me it's a big brown dog from a 1980s cartoon. And that's a good thing, okay? That's a good thing. But if you were to hazard a guess as to what the most popular drug of choice is, what, what, do you, what, would, you, what would you tell me? What would you offer me? Alcohol? Tobacco, cocaine, I don't know, marijuana, pot, whatever you call it. I wonder how many people would say that success is the most popular drug of choice. And I, I would submit to you that it is the most popular drug of choice. And no matter where you are, and no matter what you're watching and what's going on in your phone, there seems like there's a never-ending stream of rags-to-riches stories and uh, success and prosperity of every variety that's being pushed out at you is this is this is what you need. This is this is the great drug of the masses, and we we dream, we desire, and we fight for success. And for every one of us that wants success, there's six people waiting in the wings to sell it to you, to give you the surefire success route to success. to to get to whatever it is. And whether that's finances or business or relationships, there is a never-ending message of how to be successful in our lives. And we're not immune to this as Christians. We, We, if you think about it, we are called to follow the most successful person of all time, Jesus, who is obviously not just man but also God. We are to follow and emulate in our life the person of the greatest character. So that pressure to be successful is felt by us as Christians. And I would say for that reason, you and I have probably heard a lot of messages about how to be successful. How to to be successful in our marriage. How to be successful in our ministry. How to be successful in our business in our finances, in every other way that we could measure it. But I wonder how many messages we have heard on how to fail well. How many messages have we heard that would tell us how we are to fail well in our life? And you might say, well, I'm not going to fail. And I would say, just wait, it will happen We all fail and if you haven't fallen over and fallen on your face, well, you might want to buy a little crash helmet for yourself because it's going to happen. The question I have this morning comes from uh, an experience that I had earlier this year and somebody close to me had a moral failure. And it was a fairly significant one. It wasn't catastrophic. And I I did what I think is the wise thing to do. I kind of just, I sat back and I shut my mouth and I just watched. And that's probably good advice when you want to minister to somebody. Just maybe just take a break, take a pause and just watch and just see how you can minister. And so as I watched this person, I, I began to be really inspired by the way that they failed about the way that they responded to their failure. And I I fought back on my own failures in life. And I know I'm so shiny and wonderful. You you probably didn't know that I failed. I failed many times. And as I began to watch this person and in in the way that they failed, I, I began to reflect on my own failures. And sadly that I had not failed well. And so I I wanted to bring you a message this morning about how to fail well. And I I essentially have six keys to failing well. Now, I I won't reiterate the whole text that Caleb read, but we we know this story. Pastors preached on that passage before. We're all familiar with the story of David, a great man of God, a great leader who was, he was great in, in, in just about every way that you could measure greatness in the kingdom of God. He, he was a preacher. He, he was a, a songwriter. He, had, he was a, a worshipper. He was a, a man after God's own heart. And he was a man's man, wasn't he? He wasn't a, one of those Paschal shirt wearing guys with the buttons done up and the jeans too high so his socks were showing. He was a man's man. And so we, we love David. We love him. But he, he was also a man that... And sorry if you wear a pastoral shirt, just you can hate me, that's fine. Uh, <clears throat> he was a man's man. He, he was a great man, but he also failed. He failed significantly at places in his life. And so we can learn a lot from the life of David and other men in the Bible who have failed. And so in the story of David's uh, failure and David's fall with Bathsheba, it's a, it's a shocking narrative where he, he lusts this woman, he, he's, he's out on his, his roof and he sees this naked woman and one thing leads to the, to, the, to the other. He sleeps with her, he impregnates her and then he murders her husband. And then Nathan comes to him, rebukes him, He gets right with God. And we we know this story. let's, Let's see what we can learn from that. Six keys to failing well. Number one, receive counsel. The very first verse says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him. See, David put himself in a place to receive counsel. David was a king. Now we're, we're a bunch of Aussies. And I know maybe some of you are in the the texting generation. You don't you don't know what life was like before texting, but the you you used to drop in on your your mates, didn't you? We used to just drop in and sometimes they'd be there and sometimes they wouldn't be there. And so the idea of just somebody coming into David's presence probably isn't that shocking. But you've got to understand that this is not 21st century Australia. This is an Eastern king. And you didn't just prance into the presence of the king. We all know the story of Esther, for example, and the, and the sort of uh, homage and timidity that even the wife of the king had to come into the presence of the king. Now, you didn't come unannounced to the king. And if you did, you probably only did it once and it was probably physically impossible for you to wear a hat after that, if you know what I'm saying, right? So David gave audience to Nathan. There there is something very important in this. And you say, "Well, well, Nathan's the prophet. Nathan's the messenger. Nathan's the guy. Well, that's why it was Nathan. And I agree with you that Nathan is definitely the messenger, but Nathan wasn't just any old prophet, was he? He was somebody that had a backstory with David. He was somebody that had a relationship with David. It was was actually Nathan who, after David becomes king over Israel, and David says, you know, I want to do something for God. It's Nathan who's there beside him to encourage him and say, you should just go for it. You should go for it, David. Whatever is in your heart, you go and do it. They had relationship. God didn't send the gardener. He didn't send a stranger. God sent a friend and a mentor. We all need a friend. We all need to be a friend in the house of God. We, we need to be the sort of people that can receive counsel and give counsel. This is my helper. Welcome. We all need a friend that can speak into our lives. Now, if you're married, you, you have your number one counsellor next to you. And that is that should be your number one counsellor. But we need people even outside of that. The Bible says that it's in the, the multitude of counsel that there's wisdom. And so we all need to be a person that can give counsel, but we need to we need to have relationships with one another. Now we've we've all known the person in church, right? That he he's always got the right things to say to people. He's always got the advice, and you know if something happens, he's he's quickly there and he he'll tell you what you did wrong and how to fix it. And you're like, well, what was your name again? Who are you? And those people generally get a bit. Uh, discouraged because people aren't taking their advice. But there's a very simple basic dynamic here that we take counsel of those that love us and have relationships with us. And so if we are going to receive counsel, we need to be the type of people that have people in our life that can speak to us. We need to be that sort of people to others. We need to endeavour to be the type of people that will make more deposits of encouragement and grace than withdrawals from people, okay? So to receive counsel, be a person who encourages, be a person, have relationships with others and invite people into your life that can speak a word to you in a difficult time. Number two, we need to admit our guilt the 13th verse, very simple, powerful statement from David, I have sinned. Now, you would think this would be easy for us. I was talking to one of the brothers on Friday night as we were on the street, and we were talking about the way that the law must be used when we preach the gospel. We are talking about how we... We, we strip away at all the, the self-righteousness with God's law and once that person is brought to the point of despair, we immediately apply the soothing balm of the gospel. And every one of us this morning, if we are in the kingdom of God, guess what? We were brought to a place at some point in our life where we realised that we were sinners that we had broken God's law. And I, you know, many years ago, my wife and I served in a very liberal church, a Hillsong-type church, and sin was kind of, it was, kind of, it was never talked about, and when it was, it was, it was almost like you were carrying a bucket of ice cream, and you, and you accidentally dropped it on the floor, and, you know, it was a terrible mistake. It wasn't a, a, a putrid stench in the nostril of a holy God. But every one of us, if we have come to know God, the very first step was we realised that we were sinful beings and we deserve the judgement of God. And in that place of honesty and transparency before God, he ministered life to us. It shouldn't be hard for us. I don't know about you, and I, I know you guys are all holy. And I, I'm not that holy, okay? And there are times just in my workplace where I catch myself, I've done something wrong at work and I'm saying, you know, boss, you, that guy that gave me the file, uh oh, mate, that was in a bad way when it came to me. And then I catch myself, I'm like, you know what? I didn't follow the process. I, I was trying to cut a corner, I'm so sorry. I have to acknowledge my sin. I have to acknowledge my failure. We need to admit our guilt. You will never fail well until you can say, I have sinned. Number three, we need to repent. Now I know this is an old-fashioned word and it has a, it has a meaning. We know that it means to change one's mind. But it, it means more than that, as it, as it is displayed in Scripture, as it is demonstrated in the response of sinful people in the Word of God. I love the picture of the woman in Luke 7. Luke seven thirty seven to 50. And she's just... She's described as the sinful woman. And you know the story, don't you? When she comes in and she's heartbroken in her sin. And she breaks that jar of ointment and begins to clean Jesus' feet with her hair and with the, the ointment. And Jesus says, you know, wherever the gospel, wherever the gospel is preached, people are going to talk about this lady. Here we are, 2,000 years later, fulfilling scripture. There's something beautiful to God about a repentant soul. And it means more than just changing our mind. It's broader, more expansive. It's not just changing our thinking. It is our heart's response to God in light of our sin in light of our fault. There is a beautiful verse in Isaiah 66, and many of you would know this. It says this, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. This is the person that God looks at. You want to fail well. Be repentant. You can't hide your faults from God. You can't hide your failures from God. But there is something about the fatherhood of God, as Pastor preached a few weeks ago. He's sweetened by a broken, contrite, penitent heart. You know, a few weeks ago, um, I, I work at home for all the, the COVID madness. The last few months I've been working at home. And so I've got, as you know, I've got two little kids, both under five. And it's kind of a crazy place to be, you know, doing work from home. I can't lock them out of the room. It's, I just don't want to do that. And so they're, they're usually running around. And my boy has got into this habit of he will, I've got this big computer and it's got all these fancy lights and he'll come in, and I'll be in the middle of something, and I I, I work with uh, government uh, institutions where I'm looking after their sick people, and I'm writing things, and I'm looking at legislation, I'm doing all sorts of crazy things, and so often I'm writing really long um, papers on certain things, and my boy got into the habit of this. There's this big blue light on the computer, and he just he loves to come in, and he just presses it and turns it off. It's so annoying. And he's been told like a thousand times, do not do this, Jetty. Do not touch the blue button. And so I was at work one day and I'm I'm busily doing this paper and I'm back a couple of pages in. And my boy comes in. He just looks at me, he goes, I'm like, Jetty. And he 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 ran out. He started crying. He ran out. I turned everything back on. I, I kept Kept working and about 15 minutes later, my boy came in and he had his head down. He said, Daddy, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Daddy, I'm sorry. Now, you, if you're a parent, you know the difference between the, oh yeah, I'm sorry, and the real penitent sorry. And you know, I said, "Yeah, you're gonna be sorry." No, I didn't do that. <laughs> and I just picked him up and gave him a big hug, and it was just—it was one of those beautiful father-son moments. That's the heart of our father. he 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 is not rejecting us in that moment. He is embracing us. He loves us. The true picture of David's repentance in our text—it's not from verse sixteen to nineteen, where you where you read that you know he he's given this word that this, his son is going to die, and he's heartbroken. He can't eat. He, he he lays down before God and he begins to cry out to God, and you might say, "Well, that's the picture of his repentance," and I. I certainly wouldn't say that David was not repentant in that place at that moment, but that is not the picture of repentance. You see, if you've been around the traps for a while, you know that every unbeliever, when the chips are down, man, and the house is on fire and somebody dies, all the bullets are whizzing past and they're in the foxhole, well, the biggest atheist on the planet starts calling out to God. So I'm not that impressed by David in the midst of that calamity, going, God, help me. Verse 20 impresses me. Then David arose from the earth, came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. You've got to understand this. Those of you that have kids, your child has died. You have been calling out to God for seven days, it says in the text. God, please don't kill my son. Please, God, have mercy. Have mercy. Seven days. The child dies. What does David do? Gets up. You're glorious. I praise your name. You give life and you take life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You want to fail well? That's the picture of repentance. Repentance is to humble ourselves before God, is to accept the guilt and the consequences of that guilt. You think David's arms might have been heavy in the midst of sorrow, accepting his guilt, humbling himself and lifting up his hands and saying, I bless the name of the Lord. Number four. Stay at your post. Who do you think the greatest failure of the New Testament is? I think it's probably Peter. The gravity of his failure is his proximity to Jesus. And there are others that failed. Peter was, he was the, a leader of those disciples. He was a man that was in the inner the sanctum of the disciples. He was a man that saw things that nobody else saw. He was a man whose faith and devotion and loyalty to the Christ should never have wavered, should never have trembled. And yet he's brought into a place and a little servant girl says, hey, you know Jesus, right? I don't know. Who, who? Jesus, who? What Jesus? You think he remembered those words when Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of man will be ashamed of him. You think that wasn't in his ear? I, I, I submit to you that there is no greater failure in the New Testament than Peter. And yet, in that beautiful, ending of that story in John 21 there's this one statement from Jesus he says to Peter follow me Ecclesiastes 10.4 says this if the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee leave not thy place for yielding pacifier great offences now I understand that that's The specific context of that verse is talking about friction, conflict with leaders and how we're to respond. But the general principle of that verse in Ecclesiastes 10.4 is that in our vernacular, stay at your post, mate. Stay at your post. Now, when my wife moved here from Africa, and Africa's a lot different to here, one of the, the things that she observed about the church, she said, "Something I don't understand. in Africa, when, when somebody fails or, or calamities are going on and, and there's all sorts of things exploding in a person's life. African Christians generally speaking, they're just, they just just they won't leave the church house. they just... If there's free services, they're at every service, they're there three hours before, and then they go looking for some other services. They just want to be in the place of God. They, they really get the don't leave your post. She said, but here in Australia, we would be ministering to people. And you, you've had this experience, right? You're like, hey, was Bob? Oh, he left like six months ago. No goodbyes. I don't know. Is that an Australian thing where, when the calamities come or the failures come, man, we're out of here. We we become reclusive, and I get it. Sin makes life hard. You, you try to serve God in unrepentant sin. Guess what? Your Christianity will suck. I know that. I I remember a few years ago, my wife and I, I had a big fight with my wife on the way to work. Now, again, I know you guys don't do this, just us. And I, I didn't resolve it. And I get to work and my habit is in lunchtime, I go out and I preach. And I was so, I was just pent up with all this anger and, you know, frustration. And I was in a bad frame of mind I hadn't got it right, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not going out today. I'm going to go sit under a tree and read my Bible. And so I go and I, I sit under a tree and I read my Bible in this Catholic church in the city. And so I'm coming out, and this group of, I think they're from Indonesia, like six guys, they go, sir, is this a, is this a Christian church? I'm like, no, buddy, it's Catholic church, all right? And they're like, oh, Catholic, Christian, what's the difference? And so I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> So I give them the gospel, all right? I, I explain to them what it is to be a Christian. I give them the gospel, and I probably did it in a very bad way. But you know what I learned from that? God had called me to something. My Christian life hadn't ended because I was in sin at that moment. And It was a horrible witness that I had with those people. And it was painful and uncomfortable, but you know what? I'm meant to stay at my post. And the discomfort of that moment, it wasn't on God, to be honest. It was on me, all right? We should stay at our post. No matter how we feel, we just get busy doing what God has given us to do. And I tell you, you'll see some amazing things. I remember preaching years and years ago in this Pentecostal church and there's a big African pastor there and man, he's like six foot something and he's, he's muscly and he's good looking. He could sing, he could preach. I mean, he'd just do everything. And I was preaching this message about evangelism to the church and then I said, you know, pastor, I don't know how God's going to use you, mate. Look at you. You're awesome. You're handsome and you can, you can sing and you can preach. How is God ever going to get any glory out of your life? You're just too good. The reality is that in our weakness, in our brokenness, in that time we're like, man, I, I just got to be out of here. I, I, God can't use me. That's the time where when God begins to do something in your life, people are like, well, it can't be him. Oh, that must be God. God gets the glory. Stay at your post. If we were to have a top three of the greatest failures in the New Testament, I reckon John Mark might qualify in that top three. And we we know him, don't we? We know that he, he first comes on the scene in Acts 12 he gets enlisted into the work of God. Number five is something we can learn from his life. Number five, we grow by it. Now, the dates that we have for different things in the New Testament, we take them with a grain of salt. But it would seem that between Mark's enlistment into the cause of the gospel, and his failure is probably a few years. Maybe maybe three or four years, probably five or six at, at tops. He has this significant failure where he has abandoned the work. Paul is like, he's not coming with us. No way. No way. I, I need men that are loyal. I need men that are going are gonna to do the work. He's not, he is not the person that we want for our mission. It's public, it's nasty, and I'm sure John Mark must have felt pretty bad a split between that great duo of Paul and Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And I think a lesser man would have just drifted off into obscurity and we see that in scripture don't we we see some people they just they kind of rise to prominence and then bang you never hear about them again they're just gone they're gone in a, into obscurity about 12 years after marks failure we we read this in Colossians 4. We'll just turn there. Colossians 4 10. In the second part of the verse, it just says, in Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. Something had happened in those 12 years. And by the end of Paul's life, and the last things that he writes in 2 Timothy 4.11, he, he says, bring Mark. Bring him. He's, he's useful. Something had happened in those 12 years to Mark. He had grown by the failure. and He might have just drifted off into obscurity, But he didn't. He grew through his failure. And if we are going to fail well, we must grow by our failures. Number six, if we are going to fail well, we must help others who also fall. Failing well prompts us to help those who are touched By similar failings. Now, we all know the parable of the unforgiving servant, don't we? The the servant owes a a large sum of money to his master. It's a huge amount. The master says, Right, you've got to pay me. He's like, I've got no money. I can't pay you. It's like, Well, to the prison you go. So, like, please don't, please don't. Don't send me there. Please have mercy on me. And what does the master do? Forgives him. Now, if you know anything about the parables of Jesus, you, you would know that Jesus loved to give a provocative story because he wanted to, he, he wanted to provoke a, a response from people. And the, the parable of the unforgiving servant is one of those universal uh, provocative stories. No matter what culture you're in, every single person has the same response because we know that when that guy gets forgiven and then he sees his mate over there that owes him two bucks and he sends him to prison, that is scandalous. Every single person knows that. Every Christian knows that. It should make you angry, justly angry because we know something about receiving forgiveness and failing, that it should prompt us to want to reach out and to minister to other people. And if we are going to fail well, we need to be the sort of people that want to help others out of the ditch rather than kick them into it. There's a wonderful story in church history. I think it's one of the most beautiful ironies if it's true. And again, you have to take all of those those historical things circling around the the Bible with a bit of a grain of salt. But there's some records in the early church that suggest that Peter was a mentor to John Mark and that, in fact, the, the Gospel of Mark is really something that is narrated by Peter to his companion, Mark. I love the irony of that, if that is a true fact. And there seemed to be some pretty good evidence from the writings of the early church to suggest this. But just think about that. Think about that great failure, Peter. He, he, he was the man that, that denied his master and there comes along this other failure, John Mark. I figured it's a beautiful irony if Peter had taken him under his wing. Who better to instruct him on how to rise above his failures than the failure, Peter? A man who had so catastrophically failed at the crucial moment He was able to bring that broken failure of John Mark and transform him. Really, Peter lived out that command of Jesus, didn't he? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. You want to fail well, then lift up others that fail. Because failure will even make you cynical or it'll cause you to love and to minister to others. But it's going to be one of those things. And we all know either our own hearts or other people that have either been ruined by failure or they have been made by their failure. A number of years ago, I had a man come out with us on the street as we're doing our outreach. It was only a few, num- a few of us that day. And he had backslidden for fifteen years. He'd lived a terrible life. And he said, I want to reach out to people, but I'm just I, I just I feel so ashamed of what I what I was and what I've done to Jesus. I don't think I could talk to anybody. I said, Well mate, why don't you just just hold out a track and just stand there and just see what happens. And so he did. So we preached and I looked over at one moment and I I saw him talking to this middle-aged lady. And about 20 minutes later, I looked over, he's still talking to her. Another 20 minutes, still talking to her. And then I looked over and she was just weeping, just weeping and weeping and shaking with emotion. And he had a hand on her he was praying on her, praying for her. And after the outreach had finished, I said, hey, bro, what, what was that all about? said she came up to me and took a train and she said I've been away from the Lord for 15 years and he said I just began to, to to share with her my story about how God had graciously taken me out of the sewers after 15 years and she was so moved she came back to the Lord and he, he, he prayed with her and and she, she went away dramatically different. You know what? Any, any one of us in that team that day, none of, us, we, none of us could have ministered to that lady. And in fact, to be honest, we might have even have damaged her. We might have broken her further, but it took that guy. It took the failure of that man's life to be able to reach down into the life of that lady and minister to her where she needed it the most. We need to fail well. David and Peter failed well. You know who didn't fail well? Judas, Balaam, Esau, Jezebel. How many of them do you how many people do you know with those names? You know a few Davids, a few Peters, a few Marks. We need to fail well. When it's all been said and done, I wonder if we will receive counsel, admit our guilt, repent, stay at our post, grow by it, and help others who also fail. Will you fail well? Why don't we pray this morning and bear our heads. As I talk about failing this morning the reality is that we have not only failed in our relationships and in our different aspects of life, but the Bible says that we have all failed God. And maybe you're a person who is in this church this morning and you don't know God. I want to tell you that I know we look, we're so handsome and we're so shiny and we, you know, we've got our ties on. Every single one of us has failed. Every single one of us. And the entry into the most incredible, everlasting relationship, the most incredible life is really just to acknowledge that you have failed, God. I don't know your heart, all your life 20 years ago I sat in a little beat up Baptist church that was being rented out by some Pentecostals and I sunk to the floor in that church house and I acknowledged to my God that I was a failure and I asked him to lift me up and to give me life and if you would do that this morning you'd be amazed where he will take you and what he would do with your life he loves you Jesus died for failures and he rose from the dead to give you life. For us Christians, let's fail well. Let's be those that would lift up others and let's be honest about those failures. Oh, our God is a good God. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love your people. And that you receive the failures. That you receive us, not at our best, but at our worst. Would you help us this morning, God? Would you lift us up? Would you restore us? And would you bless us? In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. to